Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Our topic today is Claim Your Inner Joy and Freedom, and it's part two of a conversation uh, with Acharya Shunya, in which we will be exploring the ancient teachings of the Vedas and how they support us in claiming our birthright as powerful spiritual beings. Again, I am so happy to be joined uh, on the program by Acharya Shunya. Acharya is an award-winning and internationally renowned spiritual teacher and scholar of Advaita Vedanta, uh, non-dual wisdom, and she's a classically trained master of yoga and Ayurveda, has dedicated her life to dissemination of Vedic knowledge for the spiritual uplifting of being. She is president of the Awakened Self Foundation and founder of the spiritual and educational nonprofit Vedika Global. Charya is author of Ayurveda Lifestyle Wisdom, as well as the book we'll be discussing today, The Sovereign Self, Claim Your Inner Joy and Freedom with the Empowering Wisdom of the Vedas, Upanishads, and Bhagavad Gita. This is a continuation of our conversation from January 14th of this year, and if you missed it, the first part is available in our archive at unity.fm slash the yoga hour or via whatever podcast app you're using. So welcome back, Acharya Shinya. I'm really delighted to have you join me again today on the yoga hour. Laurel, it's such a privilege, and Mm. I just love talking to you. Thank you. (laughs) Same here. Before we dive into our dialogue about claiming your inner joy and freedom, let's begin with a moment of contemplation. Let's begin, as we mean to go on, with a yoga moment. So let's begin right where we are, whatever we're doing. Just bring the attention to your body in space. Just feel wherever you are supported, whether you're sitting or standing or walking, just feel every place that your body connects with a surface that is supporting your weight. And then let's bring our attention to the breath wonderful tool that is always with us and can help our help us bring our attention into the present moment by taking a fully conscious breath and just noticing as we inhale 
and exhale. And on the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the next exhale, feeling the warm air flowing out. Just noticing the natural rhythm of the breath, not trying to change it, but just resting, resting here. And now here's something to contemplate from the Yoga Hours founder, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, taken from her book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. The soul is already blissful. Our urge to find and experience lasting happiness is our yearning to actualize our inner joy, to know it, live it, realize it. When we realize that what we are looking for is actually within us, we can focus on how to express what we are rather than trying to find something that we never lost. When we realize that what we are looking for is actually within us, we can focus on how to express what we are rather than trying to find something that we never lost. So once again, Acharya Shunya, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I have really been impressed with your book, The Sovereign Self. And when we were planning our first uh, segment with you, our first session with you in January, we realized there was so much wisdom in this book that we really wanted to have you back right away so that we could discuss more of it. So once again, listeners can find, find part one of this discussion in our archive at unity.fm slash the yoga hour, or they can find it on any podcast site by searching for your name, Acharya Shunya, or the date, January 14th, 2021. So your book, Sovereign Self, draws deeply from the Vedas, the most ancient Hindu scriptures, actually the most ancient uh, spiritual scriptures really known to uh, humankind. And they're really the basis of much more than Hinduism. They're also teachings from the Vedas are incorporated in, you know, in Buddhism and in Jainism, um, many religions. So this, the Vedas contain sacred knowledge that was revealed to both the rishis and the rishikas. And this is one of the interesting things to me that this is the spiritual text, an ancient spiritual text that was also, um, also contained the wisdom of women, which is something that we don't often see. So that's really cool. And then they were handed down in a, in a sacred oral tradition for about 10 centuries before they were put in written Vedic Sanskrit tests from uh, up to 6,000 years ago. So for people who are not really familiar with the Vedas, did you want to, did you want to say more about them and about, you know, how, um, how they are so uh, both so ancient and so relevant to us today? Nice to begin with the Vedas. Uh, the Veda comes from the root word vid, V-I-D, Sanskrit root word, which literally means to know. And it's not the knowing of logistics or directions to your home or ordinary knowing, but most of us human beings walk around with a state of non-knowingness, who we are, why we came here, who were we, where were we in the past, before we were in the body, where will we be after death? the mysteries of the universe, they, they confuse us. And so we forget and we go shopping and watch TV and eat bonbons and we're done. 
<laughs> but if you wanted to be done with a state of ignorance, there was a whole mystical tradition known as the Vedas from this root word vid, V-I-D. And clearly these are the collection of sacred verses or utterances or contemplations of ancient beings, men and women both, who lived and walked the earth 10,000 years ago. And probably at that time in India, spirituality was at its peak and materialism was in a balanced way available. Not gone, not banished, because Vedas don't banish the material world. They include it, but they keep reminding us humans that we're embodied souls we are visiting. And the human birth is an exquisite birth because of self-aware mind to explore and ask the bigger questions. So the bigger questions of humanity are contained in the Vedas. And you very correctly summed up, and I have tried to explain that, that while Hinduism is a huge emergence from the Vedas and the Hindu concept of God is in every being, in every pebble, every sand, particle comes from the Vedas, but Vedas could not be limited to any religion or one religion. And they are a way of life, a sacred way of life, a conscious way of life. And uh, they are relevant today because we're leading mechanical lives. We are leading lives where we have buried our head in the sand like an ostrich and we don't care and we just dread until disease and death comes our way. But I think it's time for humanity, and there's a big section of humanity too, that wants to now know, be in the know, be part of that mystery, and, and be, be an insider. And uh, I wanted to talk about the Vedas in my book because uh, there are these responsible teachers like our Yogacharya um, and her guru, they've been doing the good work, bringing the, the the teachings of psychology and dharma and the deeper teachings of yoga. Mm -hmm. As you said, the width and breadth of yoga, not just yoga asana right. to the world. But, there's, but this movement has to continue. Mm -hmm. And I felt like sometimes the Vedas were not, have not been adequately transmitted as a, as a living wisdom for non-monastic humans who don't have to become celibate or leave the world like you could be married and you could be in the throes of world and profession and child rearing and raising and birthing and you could still be in the know yeah really lovely and one of the things I, I about that yeah one of the things I really appreciate about the book is that you really make the Vedic knowledge so accessible I mean you really translate it into into today's language and these concepts into today's world with lots of great examples. So as I mentioned, this is a, a continuation of our discussion of your book, The Sovereign Self. And um, during our discussion in part one, we talked about some of the key steps on the path of ad, both Advaita Vedanta and also Kriya Yoga. We talked about the, the true self, the self with a capital S, the Atman, we talked about illusion, Maya, we talked about attachment, uh, Raga, and uh, this development in each of us, or we can develop this inner witness, as well as the importance of meditation. So lots of great topics that we got through, that we got through last time. Um, and where I wanted to pick up today is with um, discernment, discernment, Viveka. 
And Yoga Yogacharya O'Brien defines discernment as our ability to see clearly, to know what is true. So can you speak more about that? What would you say discernment involves? And why is it important to us? Discernment is important because according to the Vedas, there is a state of fogginess or a hypnotic spell known as Maya. And that makes us conclude that whatever the senses are perceiving is the only truth. And sometimes that may be true, but we have to wait, as Yogacharya says, to discern the truth from the appearance or the delusion or the illusion. And the mind is typically not a safe place for that clarity to arise because the mind is not meant for that. The mind is a catch-all of stimuli and 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 even there are some memories arising in the faculty of the memory in the inner being so there are memories coming from the past there are as a cluster of perceptions in the present there are some beliefs about the future so it's a cascade of vrittis or thought waves and and they're constantly shifting and changing and typically when we are in a state of not knowing, we make quick conclusions. Like we may make a quick conclusion, somebody's being arrogant when they are actually being introverted. Or we may make a quick conclusion that somebody is mean when they're only being clear and firm about their boundaries, yeah. something we can learn from them. Right. So we just come to these quick conclusions and usually it's the uninstructed ego that's masterminding this. And in, 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 in yoga and Vedas and Ayurveda, ego, the memory faculty, the mind, which is like a catch-all, um, these are all one, known as manas or mind. And it's not very dependable. So for any seeker of the ultimate self, it's interesting that the first teaching is, well, watch out, better discern, and take your time and take that pause. And maybe step back and breathe and then use some of the wisdom that you're achieving from your path discipline teacher book and 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 investigate mm -hmm. and and probably the truth may be something that's that's not apparent but it has to be reached and fortunately we also have a higher mind known as buddhi Mm -hmm. um, and most um, listeners of yoga and Ayurveda, they would know this. The buddhi comes from the root word dhi, which means that which is illumined from within. Mm -hmm. So there's a part of our mind that is connected to our consciousness, to our soul, and that part knows. So it's not like all the knowing has to come from a book or a teacher. Right. There's a part of us that knows, but it gets activated through contemplation through meditation, through silence, and through prayer. I think this is such an important part, because yeah. one of the things that, that I think is amazing and so hopeful is that we all have this within us, we all have this wisdom within us, and we can access it, and that the clearer that your mind can become, that the more this knowledge can be self-revealed from within, which is, isn't that an amazing message? It's, it's like I gift. said, it's so hopeful. It is, it's, it's a, a gift. gift. 
But before we really dive into that, I really wanted to talk about the gunas because you do a really great job in the book about talking about the association of the gunas with states of mind. So would you give us a brief overview of the gunas and particularly how they relate to our states of mind? Because I think this is this is really critical. The gunas are really ways of understanding the mind. These are modes of the mind. Uh, and um, And gunas are of three kinds. One is the tamas guna. Tamas comes from the root word tam, which means dark. So it's the opposite of knowingness. It's a state of forgetfulness, forgetfulness of our na- of our status in life, responsibilities, and ultimately our true nature, which is of self or soul and spirit. So when we are in the mind is in a mode of tamas, we 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 are estranged from our own knowingness. And we 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 act. There's no other word for it but stupidly. Yeah. We hurt ourselves, and our actions may hurt our loved ones and the planet ultimately. Yeah. And we, like, if we knew better, we wouldn't. So it's like the room is darkened, like the room is pitch dark, and we are like, oh, we're walking through it, and we are hitting all kinds of furniture and saying, ouch, ouch, ouch. But we we're not able to turn on the lights, and we're like we are victims. We are repeated victims. We repeat patterns that hurt us. We abandon ourselves, and that's a state of mind which is quite opposite to the state of buddhi or illumined mind. Mm-hmm. Then there is, and sometimes we go from this dark state to a very agitated state. So we what we do is we not only turn on a light, we turn on disco lights within our mind. <laughs> And yes, there are all kinds of strobes coming on and off, and they're illusory, illusory lighting, and you think you're walking on 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 ground, but it's really water. And so it's an agitated, um, um, quickened, mercurial state of the mind. And when that happens, we think assumption is that we got lots of light, we become overconfident, but then we bite more than we can chew. We make agreements that we live to regret. We um, we act in a selfish manner. If the tamas was a self-absorbed manner, we start acting in a very aggrandized manner. It's not manic. You know, you these people go to work, they raise children, they act in a very convincing manner, but their mind is quickened. They react more than respond. And this is definitely not a state of mind for the buddhi to be there. The salmon begins when we cultivate a state of mind through right food, right chanting, right meditation, right contemplation, right dharma, right judiciousness, right breathing, uh, known as sattva. And in sattva, tamas and rajas are equally balanced. And here a beautiful light comes on, and it's a light of the self, the light of the higher mind is reflect the light of self is reflected in the light of the higher self, and everything becomes revealed. It's like the, the craziness of the discotheque stops and the, and the darkness and scariness of the darkened room stops. All the windows are open, the sun is shining, the moon is shining at the same time. We have a greater, uh, I, w- I wanna call it a 360 degree vision, but it's much bigger than what it ever was. And so there is an instant knowingness of your role in life, your responsibility, your opportunity, and who and, and and even a desire 
to be the truth speakers, truth tellers, read good books, change your habits. You see through your own patterns that are sabotaging you and an inclination to grow within and to be a source of uh, goodness outside. Uh, become self-revealed, the word you use. It becomes self-revealed because now the mind is in its most aligned state and it's aligned with its master, the soul. And this is where discernment occurs. So in my chapter on discernment, I, I teach a lot about how to cultivate sattva. Uh, even like you wake up and you tidy up your room and your, um, your dresser is not cluttered. And even that helps. Showering every day helps. Cultivating um, a spiritual practice helps. Sitting in satsang with teachers helps. So mm-hmm. I've noted that down and all that is for our benefit because then our higher mind will become like a garden and we can grow what we want. You did a, a great job there of, of uh, illuminating those three states of mind. And I, I just wanted to point out, because I didn't say at the beginning, of course, these three qualities in um, in yoga philosophy, in um, um in uh, Vedanta, they, they, it's not just in our minds, they, they permeate everything. And so part of what we can notice once we become familiar with these states of mind is we might notice several states of mind on a given day. And so if you eat something that perhaps is too heavy, you're going to notice more of, uh, of tamas, you know, guna, there's going to be more inertia. Um, if you go to the mall and um, there's, of course, not in the pandemic, but, but in the olden days, anywhere there's a whole, whole big crowd of people, the energy is very rajasic. And so you get, you know, your mind gets a little bit more, you know, stimulated, a little bit more movement. And then if you're in nature, if you and you one of the things you, you do in the book that I, you encourage in the book that I appreciate is, is to spend time in nature every day because nature has a lot of sattva guna in it and so we can actually see these states of mind as they as we pass through them and if we notice our particular state of mind if we notice tamaskuna we can actually do something about it we can go take a walk that would be a great time to take a walk so you you gave the illustration of these states of mind kind of in a more uh, steady state if someone's sort of stuck in that state but they also occur in more fleeting you know, more fleeting times. And it's a great way for us to learn about what, what we want to do, <laughs> what we, what, how we want to spend our time, what we want to eat, because we get that feedback by watching our states of mind. So beautifully put, Laurel, this is not, a, this is not permanent DNA karma. We are the master of our mind. And so we can change the gunas at will. And that's what yoga is all about taking taking charge yeah absolutely so uh, let's move on to non-attachment and i i really wanted to talk with you about this because i feel like this is something that's not really very well understood this idea of non-attachment and you say in the book typically detachment follows discernment so we just were talking about discernment we're just talking about viveka we're talking about having more sattvic quality in our mind to help us discern what we should do and talk about that in relationship to uh, detachment or non-attachment non-attachment especially as it came out from india became all about leaving the world for a while there 
Right, the cave and in the Himalayas. Yeah, Himalaya. Still, if you visit India, you'll find all these men wearing robes who are not even enlightened. You know, they're not genuinely worthy of those robes. They're just walking around who've quit on their family because they think they're practicing non-attachment. And that's just an unfortunate understanding of it. Non-attachment also does not mean that you don't um, have any desires and, you know, you live this pale, uh, you know, uh, kind of withdrawn life. You can lead a full throttle life, fully engaged, and you're actually meant to fulfill your valid desires. Non-attachment means when you've discerned what is real and what is unreal, what is an illusion or what's like a care, what's like a silly delusion occurring in your own mind, then non-attachment here means taking a conscious decision to step back from those patterns, to step back from those behaviors or those uh, actions. Non-attachment would then mean not leaning upon a, a virtual creation of your own mind to justify your story of victimhood or your um, inabilities to, to change the paradigm in your life. Non-attachment means not attaching consciously to that which holds you back and does not serve your soul's journey and its progress. In fact, there is a kind of attachment that is recommended that is known as Atmavasana, which I talk about, which is a good attachment, the attachment to speaking your truth, the attachment to dharma, the attachment to being straightforward and not being manipulative, like not hiding your feelings and aligning your thoughts, feelings and words. So there are healthy attachments, but there is absolutely a place for non-attachment. And um, I think knowing that and working alongside discernment just makes us really healthy. So I feel like I discern all the time in my life, Laurel, and then I snip snip <laughs> mentally, emotionally. Yeah. And I'm still in those relationships. Sometimes they are not even that healthy, but they don't hit me that much. Because internally, my attitude is of non-attachment. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And with that, we've come to the break. This time always goes so quickly with you, Acharya. It just flies. So you're listening to The Yoga Hour with our guest, Acharya Shunya, author of the book we are discussing today, The Sovereign Self. Claim your inner joy and freedom with the empowering wisdom of the Vedas, Upanishads, and Bhagavad Gita. You can find out more about Acharya Shunya at her work at her website, awakenedself.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. After the break, we'll explore how to, more about how to find our inner joy and freedom. We'll be right back. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. 
Each prayer and meditation on Positive Prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open Positive Prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour, insights and practices for spiritually conscious living. Welcome back from the break. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, and I'm here with Acharya Shunya. Shunyaji, on the break, you and I were talking about this interesting kind of, you know, contrast where there's a role for householders. And then there, as you were mentioning, there are some people who go off and, you know, live in, the, you know, in a cave and, and particularly in this idea of non-attachment. Somehow it's gotten translated into that. But what I love about your book is your book is spirituality for for everyone, for the householder, and that there's not really a difference. And also that this is a path for women as well. So did you want to recap anything of what we were saying on the break? Well, it was really important for me coming out of India, where patriarchy has been quite established for some time now, that I go back to the Vedic roots, which were gender neutral, and to talk about the rishikas, which people don't do, only the rishi word is common, and that to point out that they were women who were completely uh, dedicated to the spiritual path, like myself and Yogacharya, uh, who are known as Brahmavadinis. So it was not a big deal if women were not just raising babies, or they were raising babies and leading lineages. For example, my own lineage, our ancestors are Vashishta and his wife Arundhati, and they were both teachers, wow. and they had an ashram in the exact hometown. I still have a house, mm-hmm. Ayodhya. So, and their uh, their ashram is and their um, home is mentioned in the Vedas. So, I come from their hometown. I am their descendant, and it feels really good to know that. But then, for a while there, it became about women. Men could leave because they could. And women were left-ending babies. They were like lesser beings. And we started only adulating those who could leave the world and be celibate. And uh, and the rest of us were shamed for making love and having babies and talking about sex. But then when I went back to the Vedic roots, sexuality was in, in, um, in, uh, in your spiritual life. And so I have a article going around that just got published in spirituality and health that talks about being uh, sexually shameless. So I took positions that I wanted to point out where the dogma had entered the the Vedic way of life. And, and it started in India and then it traveled all over the world. Mm-hmm. But Krishna has talked about in Bhagavad Gita that both these paths are valid. You could have a monastic path or a householder path. It doesn't matter what's your lifestyle. What's more important is what's your awareness, what's your consciousness. Mm -hmm. So it's not one is not better than the other. It's your choice. But then we humans made one better than the other. So I'm a woman. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I'm a sexual being. And I'm a spiritually ascended person. And I want to talk about that. And it just makes me feel good to remove those cobwebs. 
Yes. Yeah, I just I thought that was super important to to bring to our audience that we had that conversation and that it's uh, it's lovely to see you as a woman, as the lineage holder. And it's lovely to read a beautiful and deep book about this Vedic wisdom coming from your perspective, from a woman's perspective. So thank you for that. So I wanted to um, to read a story that you relate in Sovereign Self. And then have you get, uh, give you a chance to comment on it. So the story goes, once a king revered a yogi who lived in the forest just outside the kingdom. Every day the yogi came to the palace after dawn and gave his student, the king, a wild fruit, such as a fig or an apple. The king politely accepted the fruit, but given that he had a royal feast waiting for him, he never ate it. In deference to the yogi, he did not throw the fruit out, but he stored it in a special room. All of it accumulated there over the years, rotting. One day, a monkey got hold of one of the pieces of fruit and eagerly ripped it apart. Out fell a shining diamond onto the floor. The king was shocked. It became clear that he had rejected the yogi's gift, thinking it was a mere wild fruit, but all along... There was a diamond hidden in each fruit. How generous of the yogi. He ran to the yogi's abode and begged for his forgiveness. The yogi said with kind eyes, but all humans do the same thing. In every experience, a gem is hidden for you, a gift from supreme reality, but you don't wait to find it. So Acharyaji, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the wild fruits that are in our lives and the jewels that may be hidden there? <clears throat> so this story that I was told when I was really young by my guru Baba, my grandfather, um, it became it became a daily contemplation for me when wild fruits came my way. And we often like resist, you know, why is this darkness coming my way? Why is it betrayal coming my way? But there is a gem waiting for us, and that gem is wisdom with VID. And we get to know some more, and we find hidden potential within us. Some of the difficulties that I have encountered as a human being, as a mother, as a partner to my husband, as a citizen on the planet in this difficult time, when I accepted that fruit, when I ate it, when I faced it, when I didn't want it to go away, when I didn't develop resistance to it and then magnify that resistance by constantly complaining about it, but just being with it and at least emotionally not wanting it to go away, like accepting it that, okay, this difficulty has come and it is a gift and it's a matter of time before I find the diamond. I did find the diamond. And I carry that luster now. Mm. And um, when I couldn't, uh, and I was burying my head in the sand or complaining or jumping up and down or being angry with God, um, it, it ruined me. It sapped me. And I've had that period too. So I, what I wrote in my book are not just stories I heard, but stories I lived. Mm. And um, I also want to return people I wanted my readers to go beyond their ego and their own individual journey to the concept of divine consciousness and a greater plan for all of us. And that this is not a punishment zone being born as humans. And that what we think is darkness is really uh, waiting to convert to light. Mm -hmm. 
for us. So these stories have so many meanings and that belief, this belief is huge. So when darkness came my way, Laurel, and they do when you're going through life, you're a professional person, you're meeting obstacles, you come from this ancient lineage in a world and you live in a country where people don't understand what's a lineage. They may dismiss you because of your gender or your color or your, uh, or even your language or the way you speak. And yet the truth is burning within you. And these were obstacles. But these very obstacles have become my friend. Mm. And, and I found new ways to communicate. And I've gone beyond color and gender and age to talk to souls now. And I'm surrounded by love mm. and adulation and support from the very people who I thought would reject me. Mm. So it's so amazing that my travel to a foreign country, my teaching an ancient wisdom in an era which is generally irreverent, has not really been an obstacle. It has shown within me ways to not just give out pedagogic wisdom, but to really connect to the needs of the people today. And that's how this book was born. Okay. So I hope everybody finds their hidden diamond. <laughs> Well, as you were speaking, I was just thinking, of course, about this difficult time that we are in with this pandemic, that we are coming up on a year of very different types of activity than we had in the past, and how there is a lot of tendency towards Thomas, towards Thomas' states of mind, I think, towards being very weighed down with everything with all of the changes everything that we can see that we're missing and of course of course there is going to be some feeling like that and there are also um, I believe that that the teachings of yoga and teachings of the Vedas we are in an awakening world we are in an awakening world and this is all part of our process you know of of awakening and there will be diamonds that come out of it of course there are there are losses and I'm not trying to minimize the losses that people have but there are also um, there, uh, I, I believe that um, that again, this is an awakening world. Did you want to comment on that? This particular time that we have, and how maybe we can face it with a little bit more equanimity. Humanity as a whole is going to find a diamond through this dark Vedic time, and we can already see it. The pulling in, the 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 the, the housekeeping that we are doing, and the and the revisiting what went wrong and how did we contribute to an ecological blunder on our planet. So it's already begun. And yes, there are losses. I myself lost two uncles on the same day within hours to, to COVID. So there is like that individual pain. And at the same time, what I'm talking about, this diamond is a spiritual diamond. So I'm not saying that there may not be a physical pinch in the moment. And there is a physical loss in the moment which to which we must honestly and truthfully f feel our grief and feel our sorrow. But there is always going to be hope because a morning follows night mm -hmm. and uh, we are not forgotten people. We are being given ideas and ways to reinvent ourselves and our reality. Mm -hmm. It's a wake up call for yes. sure. Thank you. Thank you for that. So I really, one of the topics I really wanted to talk with you about uh, in the book is liberation, liberation. So the ultimate spiritual goal in both Advaita Vedanta and Kriya Yoga is to awaken 
to our true self, to the truth of who we really are, self and God realization. So moksha or liberation, moksha is the, um, is the Sanskrit word. So how do you define moksha? Moksha can be defined and in a very simple way when we look at the Sanskrit words that explain the word moksha. Two Sanskrit words come together to make the term moksha, which is moha plus kshaya. Moha means delusions and illusions and misperceptions and wrong knowledge. And kshaya means the end of. So when all the wrong knowledge, which leads to a wrong identity ends, we come into a state of freedom or liberation from the clutches of ignorance. Now, you can have day-to-day -day moksha moments. For example, in a given moment, I might feel as a woman limited in influencing change. And then I remember that I'm not just a woman, I'm great spirit. And, and when the right knowledge dawns, I have a moksha moment and I go ahead and come into the world stage with all my power intact. But if I had continued to operate under the belief of um, being a secondary citizen, uh, uh, you know, then, um, then that would have been my reality. Mm -hmm. So we can have um, ordinary moksha moments and then you can have an extraordinary moksha uh, paradigm shift where you recognize that you're not just the body and all the entitlements that go with the body, race, gender, family story, but you are Atma, the boundless one, and you were never born and you shall never die. And you're merely having an experience through your equipment called the body and mind. And you already are where you need to be and there is no journey. And it is simply a restfulness in your true nature. So moksha is the ending of those delusions. Right knowledge is the path. Teacher is a consultant on that path. And your own sadhana or perseverance on that path is what brings you the fruit of moksha. Just so beautifully said. So one of the reasons I really wanted to talk with you about this is I think people have this idea about liberation as like an impossible dream. They think that it's really not for them. And in both my you know, lineage of gurus and also I know in your book, you really talk about it. This is for everybody. So let me just um, let me just quote. Let's see. Um, you write the Vedic tradition is unequivocally united on this fact. Genuine awakening can be earned by anybody willing to do the inner work of purifying and illuminating the ego, samsara, with self-knowledge. There are no awakening haves and have-nots, which I think is just beautiful. And then um, Rajin Davis, who was Yogacharya O'Brien's guru, and Roy, Eugene Davis was a direct disciple of Yogananda, wrote about something that Yogananda uh, told him. He's, uh, Yogananda said to Roy, don't allow yourself to be too concerned about what others do or don't do. Don't look back. Don't look to the left or to the right. Look straight ahead to the goal and go all the way in this lifetime. You can do it. So I think both of these are saying that this is really something for everyone. This is not something just for... Um, yogis who are sitting in a cave in the Himalayas. This is for this is for everybody, as you said, the house, householder path. 
is an equally, you know, valid and important and possible path, you know, to achieve liberation. So um, do you want to talk about that, how really it's for everyone and how maybe the belief that it isn't for everyone is one of the most limiting beliefs that we have? Because certainly if you don't try, then you're never going to get there. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up. And awakened state of being is awakening from your own tamas and rajas at an ordinary level, awakening from your own wrong beliefs that limit you at another level, and ultimately awakening to the truth of your spiritual nature is the ultimate knowledge. And after that, you can live on in your human body and human relationships, but you're secretly rejoicing because you know who you are. So that there's a difference between mechanically leading a life and then knowledgeably leading a life. And I guess that's the difference between awakened and non-awakening. And it has to be everyone's goal. In fact, the Vedas go ahead and prescribe four universal goals that Yogacharya talks about in her latest book, but that everybody has to go for artha, which is survival, and karma, which is pleasure. But they need two additional goals. One of them is dharma. Uh, where you become a conscious person while you go about your pursuits. And finally, moksha, because you don't want to spend all your time on the planet going to Costco and watching movies on Netflix. You want to also take some time to meditate, contemplate, go to satsang, listen to podcasts like this one, read books uh, by worthy authors, not just mine, but they're beautiful teachers who, who show us that. And I think somewhere along the way, there was a politics of awakening Laurel. Uh, and this began in India itself, where uh, the, uh, the all-male priestly class, known as the Brahmins, took over. They, they were not the rishis. They were not people with enlightened consciousness. These were just people who knew the Vedas through a rote method. They had just memorized it. And they became the keepers of spiritual rituals, as well as uh, the path givers of moksha. And moksha became, after a while, it was not just not for everybody, but it was only for males. And mm -hmm. after a while, it was not just for all males, but it was only of males of a certain caste. Mm -hmm. and, and, and gradually, maybe those exact concerns are not the worldly concerns, but gradually a lot of us forgot that we were worthy of that. And that's why we have been born to find ourselves. Mm -hmm. And moksha is very much um, a moment to moment and a whole lifetime worth of exploration to do. Mm -hmm. In simple ways, sometimes like I get nervous about something and, um, and then I just become quiet and I touch that which is expansive within me. Mm -hmm. And so I have talked about in my book called Enlightened Vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So the vulnerable part of me is my human part. But the enlightened part of me is my spirit part. And this state of being and living comes from giving myself the delight of pursuing moksha. Mm -hmm. That's said so beautifully. So you're reminding me of my favorite verse from the Bhagavad Gita, which is um, 240, which says basically, um, even a little bit of this practice removes great fear. And that has been something that has been 
very meaningful and very useful to me in those situations that you describe, you know, something happens that you're upset about, or that could, you could see yourself going off on a total, you know, tangent. And then you remember to take that moment that we were talking about that discernment and realize that's a choice. That's a choice that you make about that whole drama (laughs) that I could have done, gone down that path. And the more that my, Spiritual practice is, is uh, steady. The more that I'm, you know, meditating in particular, meditation is, uh, I, you and I talked about this a little bit last time about how key meditation is to our whole process. But um, can you talk a little bit more about these signs, you know, these sort of mini uh, tastes of moksha and how what might that look like? And, and it's interesting that, um, again, mukti or moksha or nirvana, in, in the new age circles has become all about lights and auras and some kind of supernatural confirmation. Visions, yeah. Things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't think it's any one person who set this in motion. It's the human, human tendency to believe in something supernatural without asking questions. But the Vedas have gone to length to explain that moksha some of the first signs and symptoms are emotional maturity mm. and a sense of equanimity. So Lord Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita says, Dukkeshu anudignamanaha, sukkeshu vigatis prahaha, vitiraga bhaya krodaha, dhira muni ruchate, sita dhira muni ruchate. Who is the one who is enlightened? One who does not fall apart when sorrow comes visiting. And one whose ego does not become inflated when they are going through happy times. So they stay in equanimity, emotional. They know that this too shall change. And they are trying to seek the inner diamond all the time. And they are beyond the clutches of false attachments, which lead to um, grief and then anger. It's like this triangle in which we want something, we don't get it, we feel sorry for ourselves, then we blame everybody for it, and we're always stuck, but they are beyond this. So moksha leads to confirmation of our ability to be equanimous, peaceful, and ultimately joyful despite any circumstance. Mm. And anytime you have one of those experiences, that's a little taste. That's a little taste. Absolutely. <clears throat> so unbelievably, we have come toward the end of the program. In the last minute and a half or so, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to leave with our listeners? I wanted to say that the word sovereign means sourcing your authority from within, sourcing knowledge, wisdom, well-being from within. And so in my book, Sovereign Self, I invite you to lead a more autonomous, empowered, and ultimately a good, joyful, peaceful life. And when you will do that, you will become an uplifter and a light giver for all of us. So I invite you on the journey and I just want to thank Laurel, you and your teacher Yogacharya for um, uh, for continuing to shed so much light through the yoga hour. I've been a listener of your podcast and uh, I often recommend my students to it. Um, truly deeply culled gems are being shared right here. Thank you so much. <laughs> and you have really helped us by coming on two times. So it's it's just so lovely to have a, an author who um, 
I just adored your whole book. And so it's lovely to be able to point people to it and encourage people to explore it. There's such wisdom in the Vedas and you make it so accessible and make the practices so accessible. And there's a lot of richness there that we encourage people to really explore. So with that, you've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the po- uh, the podcast. My guest, Acharya Shunya, and I have been discussing her book, The Sovereign Self. Claim your inner joy and freedom with the empowering wisdom of the Vedas, Upanishads, and Bhagavad Gita. You can find about more about Acharya Shunya and her work at her website, awakenedself.com. Thank you so much, Acharya, for joining me today on the Yoga Hour. So um, we encourage you to join us at CSE, Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, uh, which is the uh, sponsor of this podcast. We encourage you to join us for the many online programs offered by Yogacharya O'Brien, including morning meditation, which occurs daily from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. Pacific, afternoon meditation every day except Sundays from 4 to 4.30 p.m., and then Sunday satsangs from 10 to 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien will be discussing Kriya Yoga Living, five qualities of the awakened heart for our next Sunday satsang series, which is coming up February 14th and March 21st. Also coming up uh, is a retreat, spring meditation retreat with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. That's between April 15th and 18th, 2021. And you can find out more about these and other online programs at ellengraceobrien.com. And Brian is with B-R-I-A-N, ellengraceobrien.com and csecenter.org. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when I will be talking with Christy Nelson, the Executive Director of A Network for Grateful Living. We will be discussing how we can live more fully and find more well-being through gratitude. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and advisor, founder and spiritual advisor, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers Ann Hayes and Mickey Coronado, CSE's global media outreach manager, Holly Gray, and as always, Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until next time, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. 
These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 